0: Hello, friends, and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm your host Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at hllivingloco and follow our podcast Twitter at lo underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, if you like this episode and want to stay tuned for the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis, or catch up on any previous episodes you might have missed, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Doing so is free, and make sure you never miss another episode. On tonight's show, we will recap the Winnipeg Jets game against the Montreal Canadiens and talk about some important takeaways from what was a very frustrating game overall for a variety of reasons. Let's talk about the first period, though. The first period was probably Winnipeg's best 20 minutes on the night. You know, this was a period where the Jets really tore up the slot, got in real close, and made Carey Price's pads do some overtime work. Unfortunately, with what you often see with these sorts of situations... I feel like Price had the low part of the net very well covered, so the jets are trying to create like a lot of net front chaos. but in a lot of ways, I feel like the jets needed to be looking higher you know along the short or you know far post areas, maybe some of the corners. If Price is covering the low sides and, and really dropping low, you have to expose his lack of elevation and take advantage of those opportunities to elevate the shot. Clearly, in the heat of the moment, that's a little bit easier said than done, but the Jets have enough talented shooters to be able to pull this kind of stuff off pretty easily, so I was a little bit frustrated that they kind of went back to the well. I appreciate when the third line plays like the third line, in that they're very aggressive in driving the net front area and sort of just taking a direct line, where I'm not as happy as when the other lines do the same kind of thing. If point-blank tips or, you know, shots from down low are all getting stopped very easily, then maybe look for another route and alternative. I felt like the Jets' approach here was pretty good. They did have some really nice cross-seam passes, and I felt like, you know, the first line had some really great puck movement in and around the zone, which has been a bit of a noticeable trend recently with Paul Stastny out at the wing. While the line itself does lack significant breakout speed because Stastny and Wheeler are both definitely on the wrong side of 30, I will say that their in-zone passing and creation tends to be pretty good, especially with really deceptive movement and, for the most part, really smart positioning. I felt like Stastny, especially down low in front of Carey Price, was a... An absolute menace constantly. He had some really great tips, a couple of great shooting attempts. I just generally really liked his play, and I felt like that is a good sign of things to come as we continue to go through uh, the next couple of months, really, with the season. Having slightly fewer concerns about the first line is positive. Um, unfortunately, I will say that this first line did still struggle to score, and I don't know if that means we need to take a look at maybe another change again. I generally have like a hard time figuring out what the best way to arrange this lineup is because, you know, you've got Stasny, Wheeler, and Shifley together, which is good because Kyle Connor's not on that line and we know that Connor tends to really struggle alongside the other two. But you also have like a lack of transition speed and offensive creation off the rush, which is how a lot of uh, you know, Winnipeg's chances tend to be derived. So I don't know if that's like the best thing or if Winnipeg should take a look at putting like Matthew Perot back up there. I, I think Perot deserves a promotion. He's been one of Winnipeg's best skaters. I believe it was this first period he actually had a really nifty takeaway on a forced turnover right in front of Carey Price. He read a, uh, I don't know if it was like a pass or something, but basically stripped the the defender with the puck and drove straight towards Price for what was an incredibly good good scoring opportunity. I think he did some sort of a toe drag or something, created a really nice movement, almost scored except Price managed to extend the pad and and really seal off the chance at the last second, but... Overall, just another demonstration of why Perot is really wasted on that fourth line. You know, I appreciate Trevor Lewis and Nate Thompson trying their best, but it's obvious Perot is just a different breed. With how many goal-scoring chances he creates and the creativity on the puck that he continually displays, I feel like you just have to give Perot some actual skill to work with. Despite some really good offensive pressure from some of these lines, unfortunately the Jets ended up conceding first on a really bad play. Andrew Kopp was on a uh, a bit of a blue line sequence where he was, I think, getting ready for some sort of a line change, and Montreal, of course, was countering on the rush, and I believe there were only one or two defenders inside Winnipeg's own zone. Cop mishandled the puck at the blue line, and then, of course, Montreal skater on the left flank ended up corralling the puck and basically dancing around him, which created a three-on-one opportunity, and Derek Forbort tried to make some sort of a defensive play. I don't know if he tried to overcommit or something, but basically, he ended up flopping down, and Montreal ended up scoring and taking the one nothing lead on their very first shot of the game, which was super annoying. Winnipeg had had a couple of really good chances up till then, and then, of course, you know, Winnipeg struggling right there... You kind of got that sinking feeling like this could be one of those games where the Jets actually play pretty well, but unfortunately sort of butt fumble the, the puck in the really most dangerous areas, and unfortunately it bites them. After going down, I will say that the Jets fought pretty hard, and I thought that they created some really good down-low looks, but again, I feel like, you know, in some of these chances, if price is dropping early, you need to take advantage of that because you do have shooters like Kyle Connor and Nikolai Ehlers, all guys who can really roof it, and it just felt like the Jets really weren't elevating their shots enough. I get that you create a lot of down-low chaos, but you do have to get those chances in the upper corners or some of the post finishes that the Jets are known for easily pulling off, so... You know, I would say on the whole it was a pretty good period, but I I do suspect that it had some implications and omens for how the rest of this game played out. If you thought a 3-on-1 would be the most embarrassing defensive sequence on the night, you might be in for a bit of a rude surprise heading up into the second period. As is always with the Jets, you never really know what you're going to get with them, and in the following periods, which we'll talk about in just a moment, the Jets did some really jetsy stuff that I feel like... You know, cost them the win in this game. I felt like the Jets had a really good opportunity to try and push and get two points, but sometimes you're the hammer and sometimes you're the nail. Tonight, Winnipeg somehow was both in a lot of respects because they were hammering Montreal on a lot of zone possessions while also managing to concede some really silly turnovers and really high danger chances. In just a moment, we'll take a look at how some of those unfolded in the second period and beyond and whether or not the Jets have any real work to do heading into their next rematch against Montreal on Wednesday. Welcome back to this episode of the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. We are talking about Winnipeg's game against the Montreal Canadiens, and I did spoil the results a little bit earlier in the show saying that the Jets lost, but I think the narrative of how it all went down is actually worth telling because there are some very key moments of this game where I feel like the Jets have a couple of lessons to take away and things to prepare for in the future. Stuff that, frankly, even involves the Seattle Kraken. Before we get into the really heady stuff, though, I did want to invite you to take part in the Locked On Podcast Network Men's Tournament March Madness Challenge. It's a 60-plus bracket size with plenty of rounds. Uh, I believe it starts at round 64, and you can find it at ESPN.com under their fantasy section. The tournament starts in four days, so be sure to get your brackets in as soon as possible. And speaking of March Madness, this game uh, against the Montreal Canadiens actually gave me a case of madness that's in the month of March, but it's not the fun kind, it's the one where I'm just sort of like, yeah, Winnipeg's driving me nuts with some of these mistakes. I feel like tonight's game was a case of a lot of situations where the Jets would have really good stretches of play, and then just one really mind-boggling mistake that ended up getting capitalized on by the the Habs forwards who are all very skilled at making you pay for all of your mistakes. One of the earlier mistakes was a penalty that gave uh, Montreal a nice little power play just a few minutes into the second period. The Jets had already started the period on a penalty kill so it was cool to have yet another penalty kill to contend with and we all know how the Jets are when it comes to these sorts of situations. Not exactly ideal. Winnipeg's PK unit got roasted again by Josh Anderson, who scored his 11th goal of the season. Uh, Anderson versus the Jets has had a bit of an interesting history. Earlier in these matchups, Dylan Demelo accidentally slew-footed him, and he went down pretty hard and ended up getting knocked out of the game, and I think a couple of subsequent games after, so I'm sure Anderson probably felt some impetus to actually score and try and exact some measure of revenge. Of course, after Montreal had a few power plays, it was natural that the Jets would actually get one as well, and Kyle Connor ended up scoring on this one, his 13th goal of the season, and I believe something like his 8th goal or 9th goal on the power play. It's funny, after saying that the Jets needed to elevate their shot, uh, you know, Connor actually beat uh, Carey Price on a screened 5-hole shot, so he didn't even have to elevate it, it just sort of leaked through the pads. Bit of a nice shot, really fast release. It was so quick that even the commentators weren't really sure it happened because the one play-by-play caller ended up seeing it, but I, I don't think that Ray Ferraro realized it had gone in. It's a nice goal, but of course I feel like, you know, Kyle Connor's contributions certainly have to come off of the power play as well. Tonight, I would actually say was one of his best games overall. For one thing, he actually defensively back-checked and broke up a couple of rushes the other way, which I felt was, like, a huge moment for him because he's never done this before. When he pursues puck carriers, I think he often finds himself not really physically engaging, but this time he actually did try to disrupt them and it was slightly more effective than usual. I feel like when he does this sort of stuff and he has these contributions in both ends of the ice and also trying to disrupt where he can so he can create turnovers and start breakouts the other way, that's when you get the best version of him. Like, what I'm asking him to do is just very basic stuff. At least make an attempt. You don't have to be perfect at man-marking. I'm not expecting a guy who's mostly a sniper to be, you know, some shutdown center like Adam Lowry or a bulldog winger in the vein of somebody like Josh Anderson who's really, you know, resolute in both ends of the ice and can transition the offense and defense equally. I would like KFC to at least make a few more attempts like this, though, and tonight he was very engaged, I felt. Even though he wasn't really scoring at even strength, I felt like... In general, he was just in better spots. Offensively, at even strength, not super in love with some of his decisions, and I feel like his positioning occasionally wasn't on the same page as like Ehlers and Dubois, but overall, pretty okay game for him, especially considering some of his games earlier this year where he's just not really in any sort of supportive role at all. Tonight, he was better. So, you know, I'll give all credit where credit is due. I thought KFC actually had a couple of really nice moments, and even though his scoring output at even strength wasn't great, I feel like his overall effort was there. He certainly tracked back defensively. That's something I've asked him to do. We'll take the small steps, I guess, first before we go a little bit too hog wild. Um, Unfortunately, despite cutting the deficit down to one goal, you know, the Jets kind of did the Jets again, and later in the period had one of the most baffling sequences I've ever seen. So, Neil Pionk gets the puck in front of Hellebuck and is trying to swing around towards the right face-off circle, and he's looking to make a pass. Montreal has three skaters inside Winnipeg's defensive zone, and there are actually no outlets anywhere near Pionk. I think Josh Morrissey might have been on the ice at this time on the left side, and I don't know if Pionk was getting ready for a change or something. I don't remember who exactly was on the left side, but that defender was already pushing up the ice and was like towards the neutral zone. All of the other jet skaters were up in the neutral zone too, so like, Pionk didn't really have anyone to pass to, and I don't think he recognized that when he was curling around and about to throw it up the middle. Usually you've got somebody on the right flank to try and handle this puck, especially near your own blue line, but unfortunately it was all just tab skaters, and Pionk didn't really recognize that until it was far too late and he'd already turned it over, and then Montreal had a 3-on-0, which was very embarrassing to see. Tyler Toffoli did not miss on this one. And sure, you know, Pionk is definitely at fault for this sequence, but he was also only part of the problem. Initially, the Jets had an offensive zone possession, and I think Shifley tried to pass back to Josh Morrissey. The puck just sort of skipped by Morrissey because he whiffed on it. It creates a transition back up the ice towards Winnipeg's end, and then, of course, Pionk gets caught in that three-on-one situation in what's basically an iso play, and I I don't really understand where any of the Jets' other skaters were, I I just don't get it. Usually you have some kind of support somewhere so that when you have the guy about to wheel either, you know, from behind the net or just carrying the puck across and looking to make an outlet pass, you have somebody in space. The Jets just didn't, and Pionk kind of had a bit of a brain fart and throws it into really dangerous situations and then turns it over and then it leads to a goal, which was kind of like the story of the entire night so far, right? You know, the Jets had a lot of sloppy turnovers, they just weren't really clinical, they weren't getting great shots in the most dangerous areas... And when they made a mistake, Montreal made them pay. And so it was just a really frustrating second period because it felt like the Jets, I wouldn't say that they outplayed Montreal in this second. I think technically they did by like expected goals, maybe. But it certainly wasn't like the first period where you could say the Jets were actually handing Montreal, especially inside that slot area. The Jets really weren't doing that as much. They were creating some decent chances off the rush. But aside from that, I felt like Winnipeg just wasn't as sharp and wasn't as good and we've often seen like the Jets kind of fold under pressure. They didn't exactly do that this time, but I just feel like those sloppy moments where they had some, you know, minor mental gaffes, well not really minor, major in this case, but they had a lot of these really stupid turnovers some of which the Jets didn't get punished on. I think one of the most egregious Might have been in the first period or the second period. Derek Forbort was on the right side in front of Hellebuck, and he just held onto the puck a little bit too long, gets stripped of it, and then Thomas Tatar tries to do a really skillful between-the-leg shot, you know, cutting across the grain. Somehow Connor Hellebuck stops it. So, you know, it's just one of those nights where I felt like every time the Jets' defenders touched the puck, something really bad happened. And so I was really frustrated. It's not super surprising with this team. And if you're hoping for things to have improved in the third period, in just a moment, we'll tell you why you probably don't want to get your hopes up too high. One thing you should get excited about, though, is Bilt Bar Madness. We all know March Madness is right around the corner, which means a lot of crazy bracket challenges are coming out. But did you know that Bilt Bar has its own bracket challenge? What the heck is a Bilt Bar? Longtime listeners of this podcast already know because we've been telling you about how great the Bilt Bar is, but if you've never had one before, it's the best tasting protein bar on the market, and it's even better for you. With every Bilt Bar being low calorie, low sugar, high in protein, and high in fiber. And if you're a chocolate hound, you'll love to know every Bilt Bar is coated in 100% chocolate. Now, I've told you about some great flavors before, but there can only be one true greatest flavor of them all. And now it's your turn to vote on the best flavor of them all. Today's matchup is Toffee Almond vs. Mint Brownie. I've espoused the greatness of Mint Brownie before, but I also really like almond, so I might lean towards the Toffee Almond flavor. But I'm sure everyone will give you a different answer. To cast your vote, go to BiltBar.com slash pages slash brackets every day, and be sure to check out the winners once you're done. Grab a few built Bars while you're there, and be sure to use promo code LOCKEDON20 to receive 20% off your next order. When it comes to the wild and wonderful world of online betting, it's hard to know the best sites to do it. You need a safe, trusted, and reliable name, and that's why you should look no further than BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, NHL, MLB, and so many other international sports are all in full swing. Little baseball pun for all you lot, if sports betting isn't your thing, BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV, with real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Whether you want to put your money down on who you think the next Stanley Cup champion is going to be, or who you think is getting voted off your favorite reality TV show next, BetOnline is also your number one source for all the news, scores, and odds you need to make the most informed bets possible. Getting started is super easy. Just head on over to betonline.ag or log in on your mobile device and register for a free account. And when you do, be sure to use promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your very first deposit. Stop sitting on the sidelines and register for a free account at betonline.ag today. BetOnline, your online sports book experts. Welcome back to these closing thoughts on the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. We are recapping their game against the Montreal Canadiens tonight, which was unfortunately a very painful loss. In the third period, the Jets definitely pushed a lot, and I felt like they got pretty close to scoring a couple of great opportunities, especially at even strength. Unfortunately, the only Jets goal of record was actually another Kyle Connor power play marker, and this one was a great shot, top shelf. It was a a huge slap shot from the right face-off circle which Connor recently has been missing, so it is nice to see him get a couple of uh, power play markers. That's definitely where a lot of his value is. Overall, like I said, tonight was one of his most complete games, but it's certainly not one where you would just, you would say, yeah, this is like a super impressive game. It's just a really competent performance and a well-rounded one, so nice to see KFC get a couple of goals for his efforts. On the more uh, troubling side of things, I think Josh Morrissey probably had one of his roughest outings for the Jets in general. Tonight was just a game where everything that he did seemed to go wrong somehow. He had some really bad turnovers that almost led to goals against. He would pass into, you know, opposing sticks, which in fairness, a lot of the Jets did that. But I felt like Morrissey was more susceptible to it. And it's just a sign that, you know, this season continues to be a a massive trial for Josh. I feel like nothing he's done has really worked the way he's intended it to. I try not to read into things too much, but when you see the camera pan in on Morrissey's face, he always just seemed a little bit, you know, dejected or or maybe down or something. I don't know. He just doesn't really seem like he's, he's happy or really satisfied. Oftentimes he's shaking his head. He looks frustrated a bit. And this is a guy who traditionally hasn't shown, like, a ton of emotion on the ice. You know, certainly when he scores a goal, he's very happy and whatnot. But, you know, aside from that, you don't really see many reactions from him, so you kind of have to read between the lines. With how things are going on the ice for him, though, you'd have to imagine that frustration and, and annoyance is probably some of the bigger emotions that he's feeling right now because not much has gone right for him. He had one really bad shift where he was approaching his own blue line and two half skaters met him and immediately stripped him as he was trying to make some kind of a pass. And then, you know, he, he pursues the puck carrier down the right flank and then in the process of trying to get to the puck and maintaining control, actually slips and falls and then turns it over for a high danger chance. I hate ragging on Morrissey because I feel like it's kind of unfair in some ways, especially when plenty of jet skaters really struggled tonight. You know, Dylan DeMello was certainly not coating himself in glory, and neither were Pionk and Forbort, but I feel like the whole situation here is that, you know, Josh Morrissey continues to struggle, and it's not like a new trend. It's been going on for like a year and a half now, maybe even longer. And I think the biggest question is what you do with him. I mean, I don't know if you can really afford to wait for him to find the right partner that he suddenly gels with again because he's signed to a huge seven-and-a-half-year deal now after already playing the first half of this season. You know, he's got seven-and-a-half years remaining. It's like, can you afford for Josh to really be playing like this until he finds, like, another Jake Truba? Or maybe even if he does, can you rely on that fact and hope that he actually recovers his form? My uneducated opinion is that this is more than just, you know, Morrissey's partner choice I feel like there's some stuff underlying this whole situation that we're not really privy to he just does not look like the same player at all and if he isn't then the Jets need to figure out what to do with him because you know Josh can't be playing like this every night for the next eight years I hate to say it but if the Seattle Kraken are willing to take on his contract I feel like he would be somebody that I would consider exposing if things don't improve and like right now we're just not seeing signs that Morrissey is going to get better if anything, Josh just seems to be getting worse on a case-by-case basis, and I don't really know how to explain it. I've never really seen a Jets defender like this just completely fall off a cliff. Ever since Truba left and Morrissey went through some really nasty injury spells, he's just never been the same, and I worry that he's never going to improve either. I'm at a bit of a loss, and I don't really know what the best answer is because you either trade him or try to get Seattle to take him, and I just don't really know if there's much value in that. But by the same token, the value of him playing like 25 to 30 minutes a night is certainly a lot worse than the Jets letting him go. That's how bad these past few seasons with him have been. I'd love to know your thoughts on the Morrissey situation and how you would handle it. Let me know if you think uh, sending him off to the Seattle Kraken or trying to trade him for some sort of package would be better. Send me your thoughts at Loco or at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets on Twitter and I will try to address them on the next episode if we get any in. For tonight's episode, though, that will do it. Before you log off, be sure to listen to Locked On Fantasy Hockey. Get the upper hand in your fantasy league with daily fantasy hockey advice from Locked On Fantasy Hockey. Expert Scott Cullen gives you the tips, insights, and analysis for season-long Dynasty and DFS leagues, breaking down all the stats and information to keep you ahead of the competition. Subscribe to the Locked On Fantasy Hockey podcast wherever you get your favorite shows, and as always, thanks for listening, have a great night, and go Jets go!